Hey, it's Leah Rance. Before we get into our recap of Avatar The Last Airbender Season 2 and 3, I do want to disclose the fact that we tried to do this over Discord and the audio quality is just not there. I tried to mess with it as much as possible, but, uh, you know, (laughs) this will not be something we're doing in the future. But the conversation was so good, I still wanted to put it up. So thanks for being patient and, uh, yeah. Not going to do this probably again. Leah Rance Afternoon Rance. Now we're doing it. All right. We're <laughs> trying this again for a second time. <laughs> it's still yeah. adjusting, you know, for a third time. Kyle put up three fingers for a third time. Trying to record a... Uh, it's, it's hard to encompass all that is Avatar The Last Airbender, especially trying to compress season two and season three, but we're going to do it, damn it. And I'm joined by Jared Maple once again and Kyle Grabowski, and we're going to do a deep dive into season two and three because, quite frankly, uh, by the time you hit season two in Avatar, it's, uh, well, you know, the proverbial, the poop, the poop hits the fan, so to speak. So, <laughs> it sounds a lot weirder to say it that way, but you get what I'm saying. So um, getting into our feelings on book two, Earth, uh, Kyle, why don't you start us off? What was your overall feelings, big takeaways from book two? I think it almost is established at the end of book one when you have the siege of the North Pole and you have the death um, of the moon and Sokka's sadness at that. And it's, it's a finality and that sort of marks a shift away from penguin sledding and like uncle Iroh playing the trombone and things like that toward you immediately start season two with them arriving at a, a base and this general being like, yeah, you have all this power. Let's go end the war now like why would we wait and they they show these images of like infirmaries and people with bandages and probably not like missing limbs because it's nickelodeon but things like that and ang starts to see some of the consequences of him being gone and what it means every day that he doesn't defeat the fire lord so it really establishes the stakes and the tension early on and I, I think everything that happens, not only in that season, but through the rest of the series, is weighed against that counterweight of this war is happening. The, this is the cost of that. You're on a clock. To prevent us from sounding like an echo chamber, I think we all agree that the stakes just, yeah, get higher and higher. Um, I will say this. There are two big takeaways for season two for me. One, it has my favorite episode of all time in it. Uh, which I will get into later, but my absolute favorite is actually in season two. And also, um, probably, uh, I wouldn't call her my favorite character, but she, she damn close is Toph. Toph is like, she's up there. She's top five, which is hard to say. She, okay, she's top, like, she's top two. She's second. She's my second favorite. <laughs> so, all right, Jared. All right, all right. Respect, respect. Yeah, uh, I mean, same thing with season two, funny enough. Uh, my favorite episode is also in this season, so I'd be very curious to see later on what uh, 
yeah, how it goes. But yeah, I just think uh, season two was just really great because season one gave us like a very like surface level understanding of all the characters, and then season two like really started on all the character arcs, and that's mostly because I feel of like the more serious nature of the last two seasons. So like season two was like the springboard, and I feel like season three was kind of like where everything came to like it like kind of came like into like a very nice little package, you know, where like I don't really think there was any like big loose ends like at the end of the series, you know, and I think they just did a really good job of calling back to like everything that they started in this season. So okay, so here's the thing: Have you guys watched uh, Legend of Korra yet? No, no? we haven't uh, because you have to pay okay. for it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not gonna lie. Okay, here's what I did. I did the free trial of like, uh, it was like the Nickelodeon streaming service, right? I did the free trial and binged four seasons in one week. I'm not proud of it, but that's what I did. Dude, it might be us at some point because we we don't want to pay, but we definitely want to... Mm -hmm. uh, Black Clover, man, it ain't cutting it. It's that's been our thing lately. Yeah. I mean, what we do in the mm-hmm. shadows is good, but but it's you know <laughs> that's been our two shows, and I'm really like I want to dive back into this world. It has been this is honestly my favorite show now, and it's because it's very rare. The only other time I can think about this in my life is with Game of Thrones, sadly. Uh, which is a show that like stuck with me long after I had finished watching it. I can't stop thinking about it. Like I can't stop thinking about the worlds and, and everything. And what's cool about season two. And I think you touched on this, Kyle, is that I think the main conflict with season two is that there are two plans kind of, there's the original plan, which is that Aang masters all four elements. And then he goes and he fights the fire Lord, or he does kind of the Sokka method and he's like, screw it. Let's just get him right now. You seem pretty tough as is, you know. And let's just kind of like fast forward. And besides, nobody wants to firebend. You're gonna hurt Katara. So like, let's not do it. You know. I think that's that's mm-hmm. the the big. If I'm not mistaken, right? This is when he burns Katara. He's learning. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. yeah. Um. What are what are some big episodes? Since we mentioned this, what are some big episodes that stand out to you? Uh, in this, I don't know if you guys have your uh, list of it yeah, up, yeah, yeah. but um, so I gotta say, uh, so so my favorite episode in the entire series is episode seven in season two, which is Zuko alone, and I think I actually I, I loved like the whole almost like like there's a little bit of like a western influence in there too, and like it just feels really nice to be able to kind of get to know like the character of Zuko more than like what they were already showing because we don't see a whole ton of him in the beginning of season two until that episode where you get like an entire episode of just zuko by himself like being in this village and like meeting the young boy you know and him trying to almost like pass on like how to defend himself to this young child and like i don't know i just thought it was a really neat episode because zuko has been one of my favorite characters ever since i watched the show as a kid and like seeing this episode like you know as a grown-up now it just felt really nice to kind of see like the whole fruition of his character development, you know? I really agree with you. It's got that that Western-type feel, especially when he's kind of this rogue who's on the run and nobody knows his past. And then, oh, but then the rejection that he faces once his identity is, like, you know, <laughs> revealed. It's, it's heart-wrenching because he's in the midst of this transition, but everybody already kind of sees him as this... this uh, yeah, absolutely. Kind yeah, monster, that, that's honestly. that stuck out to yeah. me too, for sure. And then I gotta th- say that uh, the other episode that like really stuck out to me was uh, the swamp, 
funny enough which it, i think that was just like a really good character episode and like them learning on like how to get in touch with like nature and the more spiritual side of like being like on this journey kind of now was the swamp where they hear this in this um this kind of voice and they go down into the swamp and then they all start to see visions of things that they want and they're kind of tricked by yeah yeah so it's when yeah, so it's when they all more or less like hallucinate, and then they find like the swamp benders, and then uh, I can't remember the like the the head of the swamp's name. I've, his name is yeah. escaping me, but uh, it's just like he kind of passes on this wisdom where he's just like like every living thing is connected, you know, and it's important that you remember that like while you go on this. And I, I think like this episode kind of like as far as like the beginning of the season, I think it does a really good job of kind of showing like the maturity of the show and the characters that go along with it in depth the world is that it's not just earth is like okay it's all forest like it's like different (laughs) levels and the fact that the swamp um they are they are waterbenders actually if i'm not mistaken right because they yeah Yeah, so it's just Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's well the you know in terms of sticking out me it was definitely the tales of bossing say where we take the vignette and we see each of these individual characters and how they're interacting over. I don't know if it's the same day or if it's a series of days, but you, you get to see Katar and Toph interact. Aang is, is looking for Appa and, and that's really, uh, you know, it's hard to watch as you can tell the connection that he has with him, but you, you definitely get to see the best of Iroh in that section and just the way it's told and the way it's presented was masterful to the point where we arrive at the end and every piece is weighted and and matters and has a a point in that story i got even chills just you mentioning uncle iroh and funny enough jared i thought that this was going to be your favorite episode was tales of bossing say yeah it's up there it's definitely up there yeah because Iroh, we really get uh, a fuller, more in-depth look into this character and and the tragedy behind him losing his son and that he still mourns his son. Heavy stuff for, like, mm. Nickelodeon. And also, I have to say, specifically with that episode, while it's not my favorite, it's amazing that typically we see a lot of times, and I've said this before, with um, cable television, you have filler episodes because you have, like, 20 two episodes so of course you're gonna have filler episodes and technically bossing say could be considered a filler episode because it's just vignettes like you said kyle of different things but it gives so much more depth into these characters that i would argue it's still crucial at the end of the day mm-hmm. oh absolutely well and it also advances the plot too because they there's a section on momo where momo is just searching everywhere for Appa and eventually you find his footprint and that is one of the big mysteries of the middle part of that season is where is Appa what happened to Appa because he gets taken away by the sandbenders while they're down in in the library you know breaking the one rule um isn't that just how it always is in a story you give people one rule and they'll break it um (laughs) And I think that it, all of the things it does, even in episodes that look initially fillery or appear like they might be filler, it's, it either does something to drive the plot forward or it tells us something about a character that is going to be crucial going forward. 
Yeah, I, the library. I I was like, I we can't we can't leave season two until we talk about the library because that that honestly was terrifying to watch for me as as a uh, as an adult. Like I was mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, they're gonna get trapped with this freaky owl <laughs> under the ground with this psychopath that's like, I love reading, and I'm like, this is awful. Not that reading <laughs> is like a psychopathic activity, but I'm just like, he was really annoying, and I was like, oh, this is like worst case scenario. And then and then Appa gets lost, and I'm like, all is lost. I felt like I felt like Aang. I was like. <laughs> Cancel the whole show. Like, <laughs> I've never felt so um, upset and uh, stressed out during this. Um, so, so actually, my favorite episode is The Cave of Two Lovers <laughs> because I am a romantic at heart and I am a, uh, I'm a big wuss. And I loved so much. You had the absolute bangers that was coming out from this group of like hippies that they journey with into these tunnels like secret tunnel like i'm like oh my god (laughs) just absolute bangers of songs that they had it's my favorite episode (laughs) lee i I gotta be honest with you about something what that is the one episode that i don't like of the show I the second the hippie and I even remember as a kid the hippies annoyed me all right and watching it back as an adult I'm like wow this does not I I still can't like these characters like I'm sorry like like I I don't mind the Aang and Katara stuff I really really don't but like the hippies killed killed it for me I can't feel like the grandpa and princess bride right now like you'll understand when you're <laughs> older like can we skip the kissing <laughs> <laughs> and I like that it told also the tale of Umashu and that there was like even even when it came to like um, just the, the way that these lands were named, these creators could have li- named these lands anything and, and we would have never thought anything of it. But the fact that they were like, oh, well, this is because this is the origin of it. These two lovers that get lost in this tunnel and then they, you know what I mean, come together and it forms Umashu. It's just it's just so cool. Like there was no need for it. And they did it anyway. Like, so I appreciated that. Um, later on into the season, uh, things get really real. We got Appa's Lost Days, which is <laughs> heavy uh, <laughs> and deals with animal cruelty, uh, which is crazy. Um, and uh, we, we kind of see how Appa has been faring as he's been missing for a greater part of this season, which is like kind of intense because in the uh the whole what is it team avatar that they start to call it mm-hmm. like i mean he's the transportation so he's been missing this whole time um and then also we deal with uh the problems that are going on the even deeper problems going on with the earth kingdom and the fact that a lot of them are brainwashed uh into believing that everything is fine and that no one is at war there's no war whatsoever which is crazy yeah and uh this is this is a much more surface level compliment to this year, to uh this season, but I gotta say I think Uncle Iroh has the coolest moment in this entire season, and it's in the last episode, because like th- so throughout the first couple seasons we are constantly being uh told that Uncle Iroh was uh he was the Dragon of the West is what they called him you know and I was like huh yeah. that's cool I mean he shoots fire you know like the, like I guess that makes sense that's that's dope. But then you sit, you have this moment where him and Zuko are cornered by uh, I'm forgetting 
the the Dai Li agents and uh and uh yeah, yeah it was the Dai Li agents that were cornering him and Zuko in like a circle right and then he says oh well you wonder why they called me the dragon of the west and he breathes fire like a badass i, th- I that was the coolest thing for me uh, that made me smile like like i get goosebumps thinking about it all right that that is like yeah. power rangers level of like corniness but it just felt so good to me man it was i loved it i loved every second of it what about soccer tripping balls <laughs> oh that was that's always fun <laughs> Yeah, I forgot about that. When he's, it was like the only source because they had to make some levity when you lose Appa in the desert and you're just wandering. So let's make Sokka, who actually I think might. No, he's not my favorite. I don't know who my favorite character is. Uh, I I genuinely don't. I love them all so much, but yeah, there that need that very much so needed levity. Now, is this where Zuko learns to redirect lightning? Is that in this season? No, I believe that's in uh, the beginning of season three, if I'm not mistaken. Before we get into it, we got to talk about the ending of season two. That devastating Mm -hmm. Icarus-like fall that Aang has when he is slowly ascending into the Avatar state. And he's told that... The only way he can reach that is by letting go of all of his loves and he lets go of his feelings for Katara, which again, my God, this is a child's show. (laughs) That is just so crazy to think. And, uh, And then we got my girl, Azula, who ends up shooting him with lightning in the back and thus breaking him from that avatar state. Supposedly for good. What'd you guys think of that? Kyle, you want to go? Um, the episode City Walls and Secrets was nam- nominated for a primetime Emmy for Outstanding Animated Program less than an hour. Which is when they're dealing with Judy and, and Jet and Zuko and Iroh having the... Um, T-Shop, which it seems like of all the ones you can nominate for an Emmy, that's an interesting choice. Yeah, it is. I'm not really sure. I I feel like at that point they were just like, ah, hell, give them an Emmy. Like, they're just like, it's been long enough. Well, it was nominated, not uh, selected, but... I don't know. The the problem I have with the, his whole thing about like, oh, going into the Avatar state at will and you, you can't, um, you know, you can't lock the, the chakra and he, like, they say it like kills you for good and obviously this brings back in the spirit water, but like, not to look too far forward, but I, it just seems like a cop out to give it back to him later. Like, if, if he can't go into it, he can't go into it. Like. Hey, it's, uh, what is it called? Deuce Machina? And in, uh, in shows, if there's, like, some sort of weapon that, like, suddenly, like, fixes everything, he can't stand it. Like, he's like, that, that's stupid. Like, I, I get that, you know? Because that's kind of, in this sense, kind of that. Because the Avatar state is this all-powerful state of being that can kind of fix everything so right and so it, it made sense then if he had that taken away from him i thought okay this is an equalizer now he has to fight and deal with the fire lord 
on his own terms and actually, you know, be a more competent fighter and a more competent bender and be master of the elements to deal with that. I mean, truth be told, though, I do think he kind of goes through enough trials and, like, growth in the third season in order for him to kind of, like, make up for that and to, like, get more in tune with the Avatar state. Like, I I don't know, like, when he finally is able to, like, get back into it, I feel like it's, like, earned, you know? He gets hit against a rock. Like, how is that earning it? Because it is in the moment of truth. Like, and and here's the thing. Like, I'm also accounting for everything else that happens in that season in all of, like, the character growth that he has to go through and accepting his responsibility as the Avatar. Like, I, I agree with you. The rock thing probably doesn't make the most sense. But, like, I don't know, like, I feel like he goes through enough growth in order for it to be a payoff when he's finally able to get into it again. I just feel like if he is powerful enough to do it, you should make him be powerful enough to do it and and fight the guy without it if you've made such a big deal about it being locked and that he can't go in it. Hmm. Uh, Leah, thoughts? I feel like we're jumping the gun here on season three into the finer points, but but no, but no, that's okay because this is I I do want to say though. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> if we did that, if we didn't get the Avatar state, how would we know that we can bend <laughs> uh, <laughs> humans <laughs> and unbend or what does he call it? Unbend. Is that it? Uh, uh he, well, he just takes away the bending. I, I don't know if there's like a technical term for it. He bends his personality. <laughs> well, he, he bends his life energy. Life bending, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> I loved it. Like, it's so beautiful at the end. But before, okay, like I said, we jumped the gun a little bit. Let's get into our favorite episodes and the things that stuck out in season three. All right, yeah, yeah, you go. I got to think. I know exactly which one mine is. Screw you guys. I'm going first. It's the, it's the mm-hmm. beach. <laughs> <laughs> the beach absolutely because in the tradition of every anime you gotta have a beach you gotta have a beach episode every anime has a, a kind of like escapism episode where you go to the beach but it wasn't even you know with avatar they didn't even like have it so that it was just a standalone of course it's got to tie into some other things like zuko's relationship with his family and they're obviously staying at the beach house. And also, this is the one episode where we I feel like we are fully focused on the Fire Nation. We're focused on that team. And I don't think at any point during that episode we ever go and hang out with Aang and the gang. We don't. We just stay with them, which is pretty cool because that means they're strong enough characters on their own to carry an entire episode, which was awesome. Also, Zuko and May fighting were just... Yeah. <laughs> 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 chef's kiss <laughs> she's such a brat he's such a brat i love it <laughs> yep yeah, kyle what's your favorite episode out of the season my favorite episode is the bending masters because you get to see dragons and that's pretty lit Oh, yes! That's true, that's true. Because that's one of the things that had interested me about the show from the beginning. They talk about the bending and the original benders and where this came from. And you get to see the rest of them. The, you know, you see the moon, you see the badgermoles, you see the sky bison and Appa. And then they, they finally get to the point like, oh, these are dragons. They learned it from 
the sun and you know that i think that moment is just so surprising because they talk about the masters the masters and you're expecting them to be sort of older grizzled veteran people and then when the dragons come out it's like i think you get to experience that all with them and be like wow this is this is the power that we are trying to wield and this is the type of reverence we I, I should agree have for what it. it's worth but i gotta say both of y'all are wrong. Asaka's Master is by far the best episode of this season, and I will stand by that. I think Asaka so- being one of my favorite characters from the beginning, and someone who like I heavily related to, especially as a kid, like seeing him kind of have like his like uh, like the like I was waiting for him to kind of get like the good character development that I like I've been craving for two seasons, you know of him finally just becoming like his own man, you know? And I think Sokka's master just does a really good job of him doing that. Cause we get like basically an entire episode of just exploring Sokka's character. And I think it is awesome to kind of get like an inner look at him. He has the most growth throughout the three seasons. He goes from mm. the very beginning where he was kind of sexist and kind of like a, he's just kind of a jerk, you know, he hated Aang. And then by the end, he's like, he can stand on his own, you know, because it's notable in the fact that in the group, in the core group, he is not someone who can bend the elements. So it's kind of like to keep kids interested as well is also difficult, but they made Sokka so hilarious and so likable and, you know, comedic relief most of the time. Uh, And then to see that he's also powerful, maybe not so as much as his girlfriend Suki, but still, you know what I mean? (laughs) Pretty powerful. Um, Sokka pulls. Oh, Sokka pulls. Bro, it's true. Listen, I'm just saying, I've never met a dude who's dated the moon. All right. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. There is so much to cover, though, because I'm now, like, as we're talking about it and just being a fan of the show now, I'm just thinking to myself that, I mean, we're, t- we're missing out on the whole um, another episode standing out to me. And the reason nine is my favorite number is I always believe that episode nine or chapter nine or song nine on an album or whatever is typically like when things start to really get crazy and nightmares and daydreams is when ang starts to really um come to grips with the fact that he's going to be facing the fire lord and he doesn't feel ready or prepared because halfway through the season this is when we go through the first um we're about to go into the day of the black sun they're about to try for the first time to fulfill this prophecy and they aren't able to do it. Uh, and it ends up being a total failure spoiler. Uh, but you know, him going through that, that kind of trauma and that kind of like those nightmares and that stress and he's not sleeping and stuff. And they still manage to do it in a kid friendly way where it's silly and the nightmares are kind of silly, but at the same time, it's like, Oh, you feel that pressure too. Uh, the Puppet Master is uh, the bloodbending episode, right? All right, yeah. Let let me remind you, this is a kids' show, and they're talking about and they're talking about like bending people's blood and like contorting their bodies. Like, here's the thing: it, it, as a kid who like really enjoyed edgy stuff growing up, okay, I always thought that was so dope, like being like a bloodbender, okay. But like in hindsight, I'm looking back at it, and I was thinking, damn. This is this is kind of heavy for a kids show, you know? Like it's not just like a standard like, oh, there's a kooky witch in the forest, all right? Like she kidnaps people and then like contorts their bodies against their own will. I just think 
it, it also just seeing how like Katara handles that too, I think was just super interesting. But uh, Kyle, what, what were you what were you about to say about it? Well, I just thought that like the way that is presented was really intriguing because initially you, there's all this spooky stuff and it's oh it's it's creepy and it's that and then you're like oh this is a relief she's met another bender this is the woman that her grandmother knew from the tribe and as you gradually start to see the different perspectives and get the new information you're like oh this is terrifying yeah. like this is the weight of the responsibility of power and how you wield it the deception behind it you know and yeah that too. i'm sure that there were a lot of children that watched that episode and got a lot of like vindication out of it because i'm sure there was a lot of kids that were honors kids or an enrichment class that were thinking to themselves well bodies are made of 70 percent water but they'll never do that in this <laughs> show and then like they're like oh they did they did think of that <laughs> it, it, the, the cool thing though is that uh so so Bloodbending just seems like another one of the many examples of world building that they did, in, like, in this season. Uh, well, in this series as a whole. So, like, because you take things like the swamp in, like, uh, the Puppet Master and stuff like that, where you really see even just, like, the little, like, droplets of information, right? So it feels like a more complete world by or the time sand. we're done with the series, right? Yeah, yeah, that too. And, like, they really leave no no stone unturned, right? And, like, even in Korra, bloodbending comes back in a big way because that was kind of made for, like, a little bit more of a mature audience, you know? Kind of, like, more teenage instead of just, like, really young kids. So uh, I need you guys to watch Korra. We need to talk about it, all right? Because it evolves, it, it, it evolves like, the Avatar world to, like, a whole new level. Huh. We just need someone to drop the bag yeah. for us so we can... Right. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. I'll I'll pay for like the seven bucks if you guys can finish it in a month. <laughs> no, you know? no, we 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 have our ways. I got you. All right. Um, one more thing on the blood bending too, Kyle. You kind of touched on this, talking about the power uh, and Katara having to come with a moral decision. Right now that she can do that, does that mean that you should? You know what I mean? And that's a whole other can of worms, you know, mm -hmm. because the fact that she can do this kind of makes her like i would i would argue she's like one of the most powerful but she chooses not to for the most part <laughs> and and i yeah. think that that's pretty notable in here and, and worth mentioning um the only time so she does it is when they're going after the people that attacked the south pole and took her mom away or, or killed her mom and she bloodbends the guy who they think it is because you and you, that's when you're seeing oh, yeah. is the lack of responsibility you're 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 letting your rage and your resentment take over which is what the witch had experienced her whole life and how she invented bloodbending was being taken hostage and doing the rats and then the people and getting out that way right yeah he's exactly and then she has to katara has to come to uh she, she is faced with her ultimate, you know, similar to Sokka with Sokka's master. She kind of has her moan of um, realization or, or true change and true growth in the fact that in the past couple seasons we had seen, she was just like hellbent on, you know, destroying the Fire Nation because it was a personal thing for her because she had lost her mom and she she took it a lot more to heart than maybe Sokka did and and to finally come face to face with the man that did that and then be able to like 
step away. Uh, it's just, again, there's the, the reason that the show is so powerful is that it, it touches on a lot of, um, like Zen, like kind of Buddhist qualities to it. Got to talk a little bit about the day of the black sun before we get into the finale, because, uh, you know, this is supposedly, this is, this is the time where they're going to, you know, attack the fire nation. It's all going to come true. Aang says his goodbye to Katara. He is like, he is ready to die pretty much like honestly. And, uh, and it's happening. And it's like, like it's, it's cutting. Like it's just, and on top of that, everybody gets captured. So now it's even worse. <laughs> yeah, no, this is, this is a, uh, the empire strikes back of avatar. All right. This is like, Darkest moment, man. Darkest moment. Like, like we're seeing all everybody is basically captured except for the kids, you know. And th- this is really because, especially rewatching this, like I, I, I remember watching this like even as a kid, and I was like, "What are they gonna do? What are they gonna do? How are they gonna do this?" And like, it, I was really feeling like the turmoil, you know, like the fate of basically the entire world was left up to like a dozen kids. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and it also establishes the the Fire Nation as worthy adversaries and, and capable villains because you know to me one of the, the strong until you get to see ozai at the beginning of this season like the strongest villain was azula like because she whatever you see here you're like oh it's gone pear-shaped azula's here and <laughs> the way her and her friends sort of take the information and use that to s- subvert the plan that they have just gives you the level of like preparedness and evil that you're dealing with it's not like you're just pushing over stormtroopers that can't shoot straight you're dealing with really capable like both fighters and strategists that you're going to have to overcome because i feel like sometimes um like in the case of game of thrones oh god the fact that the ice king who was like or the ice king that's adventure time <laughs> what is that called? I don't even know. <laughs> Oh, uh, wait, the, the yeah, head of the Nightwalkers? That guy? The Night King. Oh, my God. Look, my brain is just, like, throwing it all away as we speak. Uh, the fact that he was just so easily kind of, like, admittedly, Arya taking him out was pretty cool. But, like, the fact that he even built up, built up, built up, and then it was kind of like he had no, like, further depth to him really just kind of cuts the series down overall as a whole because it's just, like, you want... You want to feel like if I was to go up against this adversary, I'd be in a lot of trouble. Like you know, um, so yeah, I agree with you on that. So moving on to the finale, Sozin's comet, which is—is is this right? It's a four-part. Yeah, yeah, it was a four-part. It was a four-parter. I, I actually remember when it was first airing. They aired all four episodes back to back on Nick when the actual series finale was happening. So it was basically just a two hour avatar movie, just concluding the entire series. Thank God, because I, ca- I can't even imagine <laughs> like ending, <laughs> just like being like, Nope, that's it. Like, here you go. Um, yeah, I, I felt like it was a very, a very fitting ending overall. Uh, and, and we pretty much have already kind of discussed it. I think I needed a little more explanation from the giant turtle. Like, that, it t- I guess maybe I just missed it or wasn't paying attention, but I was like, okay, he talked to this turtle. The guy says this thing. 
And then all of a sudden, Aang uses that to defeat the Fire Lord, but not kill him, which is his ultimate goal. And that's one of the turmoils of finale is them basically being like, you're going to have to kill this guy. And him being like, I don't want to kill this guy. And everyone is telling him, no, you're, you're probably going to have to kill him. He's a bad dude. Not a good guy. And I think I just needed like one sort of, maybe one more explanation. And perhaps I should have just paid attention more, but I think I just needed it, to, like Leah said earlier, to just be a little less Deus Ex Machina Like, hey, here's this thing you just learned that's your key to victory. <laughs> yeah. So what you're saying is completely valid because upon rewatching the series, that was kind of like the one thing where I was like, what's the deal with the giant turtle? Like, I don't, I don't know what's going on with that. But same thing, like, Legend of Korra does take, like, what few, like, like plots that were kind of left open-ended, and they f- completely explain them in the series. Which I know, like, isn't an excuse, because this should probably be viewed on its own. But, uh, I'm just saying, watch Korra if uh, you have any, like, open questions about some, some like, stuff near the end. I did really enjoy the turtle, uh, I will say, because uh, similar to everything else in this series, taking from like kind of a blend of different like Asian cultures, um, I just looked it up right now, so I'm not going to try to lie here and say that it came off the top of my head, but it's Akupara, which is apparently in Hinduism. It's a belief that the tortoise is, uh, you know... the one who carries the earth and the sea. So again, it's kind of that nod to that, which I think is really cool. Um, yeah, like, I, but you know, at the end of the day, here's the thing. The goal was they couldn't let Ang. They couldn't. Yeah. He couldn't because he wouldn't be Ang. You know what I mean? And he couldn't, he couldn't be the hero and it would kind of go against everything that we learned with Katara and you know what I mean? It would just, couldn't do it so i think that that was their best bet i can't personally think of another way that they could have ended that show and i liked that they showed that he was having that like you know i mean ang won honestly like like it took you know three whole seasons of people telling him that he was probably gonna have to kill this guy and then it eventually just turned out that he was kind of given like like i think when he's given that it kind of turns him into a fully realized avatar yeah. You know, and like, yeah, so because like, we see him being able to truly master all the elements, including the elements that don't necessarily belong to him, you know, with taking away Ozai's bending. So I, I, I thought it was great, like, to see him basically become, like, the hero that he was always meant to be that we just spent three seasons watching and, you know, with him learning and his maturity just. You know, he he basically kind of came full circle. I, I don't have a problem with that as the ending. That's not necessarily my issue. It's just I think we needed one more step, or or like just a little more. Like mm. the, I get that the turtle is supposed to be cryptic, and he it's like oh my god, it's a giant turtle. I think I just needed like two more minutes of him explaining like, hey, this is this is a potential solution for you if you're able to do it. Which he was, <laughs> and all was well in the world, and uh, yeah. So overall, <laughs> I mean, this has pretty much just been an episode of us gushing. I don't think that that beyond that, you know, beyond the uh, the turtle. <laughs> I don't think that there's been really. Uh, there's not much you can say in, uh, you know, you did you did mention though, Kyle. You said. You know, before we wrap this up, you said that there was a favorite character of mine that did not get fully wrapped up. Who are you referencing? I, I mean, I guess it's 
uh, not fully wrapped up i mean like come comes back like you you see nearly everyone come back you see haru you see and and maybe the the players the secret tunnel like maybe yeah. they were just a character of the day but like no one else is a character of the day like you you see the the cabbage patch guy again you king boomy comes back you even the the whole notion of the the white lotus society and this secret illuminati that runs the world I, we get to check in on all of them. I will say one character that does not come back is that girl that Zuko went on a date on. Oh, yeah, 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 you're a right, you're right. She never comes back. That was the one weird thing where I was like, yeah. huh, that was weird. Like, <laughs> with the whole, like, candles yeah. and everything. She was kind of, like, played up in that episode like she was going to be a thing, and then she never was. But other than that, you know, I think that's pretty damn good for, you know, three seasons. Um so yeah, uh, so I guess what's next for us is that me and Kyle have got to find a way to watch yeah. Legend of Korra, which I've heard is a lot more controversial, honestly, yeah. than Avatar. Avatar seems to be well beloved. Uh, there seems to be a little bit more um, controversy surrounding Korra, especially given the fact that Nickelodeon did a very. Um, now, I remember covering this actually on air at the time. It was 2014. They took off the last season. And only yep. showed it online. They did not show it, uh, you know, to children because I guess that it got really dark and there got to a point where they clashed yeah. with the creators and they were like, we're only going to show this online. So I'm very curious to know kind of where that goes because it's certainly something about Avatar and the reason that I could say as a 28-year-old lady that my favorite show now is a kid show is because I feel like it's not really a kid show. It's like, it's a, it's a fully fledged everybody show pretending to be a kid show, you know? So, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So, I mean, avatar 10 out of 10, the best thing Nickelodeon has ever produced. I'll stand by that statement. All right, let's, <laughs> let's go, let's go with that. Danny Phantom. <laughs> oh, you know, D Danny Phantom's pretty baller. All right, that's like a that's like a good like a good second. I was gonna say SpongeBob. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. SpongeBob doesn't even hold a candle to some of the, to some of the other shows, man. All right, cool.